This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bibles, the book of Philippians, chapter number three this morning, if you would. If you have the Hui Kala app on your phone, I'd highly encourage you to, uh, if you don't, you should get it right now. Uh, get the Hui Kala app, because if you click on today's message, uh, there's a button that says fill in notes. It'll pop open a web browser that gives you uh, fill in notes for today. Also, all the verses that we're going to take a look at through different passages of scripture, you can look at those uh, in your notes this morning as well. If not, just grab a sheet of paper and take down some really good notes, if you will, uh, this morning, Philippians uh, chapter number three. Last week we had a great week, uh, great start off to our discipleship program. Our small groups began meeting online, uh, I'm sorry, in person from meeting online. No more online groups, all that's totally done and dusted. And so now we're all meeting in person. So we had a great uh, discipleship kickoff. We got some uh, slides from that. Uh, discipleship started, we have 24 folks that are involved in discipleship uh, right now this time around. I'm really excited about that. Meeting every single week for 14 weeks to talk about the Bible and, and major Bible doctrines. Totally awesome stuff. Then we had all of our small groups uh, meet together, and it was great to see our small groups uh, meet uh, online. Uh, I'm sorry, meeting from meeting online to in person. Uh, and man, most of our groups continue to grow and grow and grow and grow. And we started adding chairs to different groups. It was awesome. Be here this Wednesday night if you're not part of a small group. You need to get into one. Uh, Tuesday nights at 6:30, we have a group that meets in the lobby. Uh, if, you, if Tuesday nights is a good night for you, most of our groups will meet in here on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. Uh, we also have a group that meets for teenagers as well. If you have teens, bring them uh, to this. We also have classes for kids ages birth through 12 years old. Uh, so we've got a kids program as well. But it's a great way in the middle of the week just to learn more about the Bible and continue to grow in your faith. Also tonight, I'm super pumped. We're kicking off our 5 p.m. service tonight. And so even if you're here at 10 a.m., come back at 5 p.m. because it's a totally different message tonight. And so if you really want to grow in your Christian walk, I would encourage you, be in church every single time you have an opportunity. Every time the doors are open, be here because I promise you, you'll grow in your faith. Uh, I, I was thinking this past week, Angela and I, for the past uh, 22 years, have basically been in church every single time the doors are open. That's a commitment that we made when we started walking with Jesus. If the church doors are open, we're going to be there because we want to grow. And I was thinking to, to myself as I went through that, I was thinking that if three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we came to church for 20 plus years, that means in a given year, 150 times we heard the word preached. Over a 10-year period, 1,500 times we heard the word preached. Over a 20-year period, there were 3,000 times that we sat down opened the Bible, and received the Word of God. And I'm telling you this, one of the primary reasons why Angela and I's Christian walk has continued to grow over two decades is being in God's Word over 3,000 times. And so I'm just going to tell you, be in church every time you have the opportunity, and I guarantee you, if you listen and obey, you will grow in your faith, no doubt about it. So I want to encourage you, be here tonight at 5 o'clock. I'll even make you a deal, okay? Come one time at 5 o'clock and if you don't like it, you didn't get anything from the Bible, and you weren't helped, you don't ever have to come back at 5 o'clock ever again. <laughs> Deal? If you come and can say, I got nothing from that that was of no value to me whatsoever, you don't ever have to come back. Deal. Uh, so, but I, I promise you, if you come, you'll be helped. So I encourage you to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. Being a part of a small group on Wednesday night uh, as well, I promise you, you'll grow. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse number 1 just by way of context, but verses 10 through 11 is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time uh, this morning. So... Um, Follow along with that, uh, if you will. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
to write the same things to you is indeed not grievous, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews is touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, those I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Verse number nine, being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verses 10 and 11 is where we're going to spend our time here today, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I grew up in a, a Baptist church uh, as a kid. My parents uh, were first-generation Christians, really just trying to figure out what the Christian life meant. They didn't have an example to follow as far as what a Christian home looked like, and so they just kind of did their best. And my parents made a decision uh, when they were young married that if God had ever given them children, that they would have their kids in church every single time the doors were open. My parents didn't know a lot about uh, Christian living and things like that, but that one thing they did say, hey, if church is open, we're going to have our family there. And me and my brother were, were taking the church three times a week for 18 years, whether we liked it or not. Unless somebody was dead or dying or in the hospital, we were in church, guaranteed. If there was a fish fry on Friday night, uh, we were at the fish fry. They had a uh, teen activity, we were at the teen activity. If they were cleaning the church on Saturday, we were there cleaning the church. My parents just made church a part of what we did. And so I am a beneficiary of that. You're a beneficiary of that decision that they made. So again, you can't go wrong being in church a lot, as long as it's a good Bible-preaching church. Church that I grew up in, again, doctrinally was the same as our church, philosophically a little bit different. And the fact that I heard as a kid a lot of stories about Jesus. I knew all the parables that Jesus told and what the, the, the meaning behind those were. I could name the 12 apostles. I could name the 12 tribes of, of Israel. I knew a lot of good stories from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I knew a lot of stories about David and uh, his things that he did and things he did good and things he did bad. I knew a lot of Bible stories but here's the important part. I didn't know what it meant to walk with Jesus. Like, I never even heard that term before, walk with Jesus. I thought that means, like, go to church. Is that what it means, go to church? Just walk with Jesus. I didn't really know Jesus. I got saved when I was a nine-year-old boy. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I'll tell you, I didn't really know Jesus on a deep level like I do now. And so it's important to understand and distinguish the difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. It's really important to understand, too, from the get-go that you can't know Jesus, really know Jesus, until you first know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You, you can't even begin to know who Jesus is until you first know Him as Savior because to understand God, to know God, to experience God can't take place as long as you and I still have our sin hanging over our head. I've sinned against God, you've sinned against God, and our sin has distanced us from God just as Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden when they had sinned against God, so you and I, when we sin, are disconnected from God in the same way and are at odds with God. Some people errantly believe that we're all part of God's big family, we're all part of God's creation, we're all part of this uh, big, huge family that God has. 
the fact of the matter is, is we're not part of God's family automatically. The Bible says that we are born into our father, the devil, that we are the children of wrath, the children of disobedience. Romans chapter 5 goes on to say that we are the enemies of God. And so let me just say, while you're an enemy of God, you can never really know God. You can know things about God, but you can't really know him as long as you're an enemy of his. And so the only way that you and I can be brought to God or can be adopted into the family of God is by someone allowing us to come into God's family. You and I can't come to God on our own because of our sin debt. The wages of sin is death. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that the second death is when we die for our sins and spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's what you and I deserve. That's the consequences of our sin when the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so you and I, because of our sin, deserve to go to hell and die. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell unloved and without another opportunity. So God, in his awesome love for you and I, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says, God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to endure God's punishment, but Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to get what was coming to me, but Jesus took it upon himself in my place. And so God has made a way for anyone who would be willing to put their faith and trust in him as Savior to be saved, to be born again. So Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, but you have to accept, you have to receive that forgiveness that's offered unto you. The Bible says that salvation is a gift that God gives you. God's forgiveness is a gift. You can't do anything to earn it or gain it on your own. You can't be good enough uh, to go to heaven. You can't be good enough to receive forgiveness. It's a gift that's offered to you. The only thing that you can do is receive it and be grateful for it. And so if there's never been a time in your life where you've received God's forgiveness, it's not a matter of joining a church or being baptized or doing religious works. It's a matter of having a time and date, a place in your life where you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, where you repented of your sin, you realize, I'm a sinner, I know that God deserves to send me to hell, but I'm asking God to forgive me of my sins and save me because I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and my personal Savior. If you've never had a time like that where you've been saved or born again, you need to get that taken care of. Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So you have to be saved to go to heaven. There's no other way other than Jesus Christ to get to heaven. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so you need to make sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home by being saved or born again. Now, once I'm saved, I don't have to do uh, things again and again and again to keep that salvation or make sure that I keep my spot in heaven. But that really begins the process of really knowing Jesus. You see the type of church that I grew up in, if you get your ticket punched to heaven, you kind of sit around and wait until your number's called. We'll show up once a week, we'll sing some songs, we'll get together, we'll probably have a potluck every now and then, especially in the summertime, and July 4th, somebody will set off some some fireworks in the parking lot, and we'll grill some burgers and, and stuff, and maybe we'll have a quartet saying, God bless America. And we'll just sit around and wait until Jesus comes back, and man, when, when it's time, we'll be there in heaven with him. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, amen. But you see, it's not about getting your ticket punched to heaven and sitting back and waiting. That really just begins the process of knowing Jesus. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and I had shared with him, I said, hey, uh, 
there was a new person in our church that said, hey, there's a guy that works at your workplace. I said, I gave him the name, told him what he does and stuff like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know him, but he doesn't know me. And, and I knew what he meant by the fact that, like, I know who he is, but he doesn't know who I am. But the way that he said it was, I know him, but he doesn't know me. And I thought to myself later, you can't really know somebody that doesn't know you back. You might know facts about them, you might know things about them, but you can't really know them unless they know you because relationships are reciprocal. It's a two-way street. And so when we think about knowing Jesus, it's more than just knowing facts about Jesus. It's more than just knowing who Jesus is. It's more than just reading stories about Jesus. It's about actually experiencing Jesus. And actually knowing somebody requires time, interaction, and shared experiences. If you and I are really going to get to know each other, we've got to spend time together. We've got to have some level of interaction. We've got to spend time together and share experiences together to really get to know each other. When you first came to Hui Kala, you probably played a game with your pastor called 20 Questions, where I said, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? How long you lived here? What kind of work do you do? What brought you to the island? Uh, what do you do? Do you enjoy the type of work that you do? How many kids you got? How, what ages are they? I began to ask you a lot of questions because here's the thing. I want to get to know you. It's not enough to just know your name or to see your face and go, oh, yeah, I know them. To really know somebody requires some level of interaction with them i got to really dig in a little bit and get to know who they are. Whenever I meet somebody, I try to find some shared experience that we might have, some kind of common ground that we have as well. Oh, you serve in the military. What branch? Uh, you serve in the Army. I've got a really good friend. His name's Larry, who served 27 years in the Army Infantry. You should totally meet, meet Larry. I don't have any shared experiences with the Army, but Larry does. And you should get to know Larry. Hey, you served in the Navy. I served six years in the world's finest Navy world's finest navy and so man what do you do tell me about that you know let's talk about that for a little bit hey you're from uh the south what part you're from atlanta i put my hand over my heart when i say atlanta because it's the home of chick-fil-a waffle fries and sweet tea atlanta god bless america right man tell me about you i want to get to know you you know because shared experiences allow us to connect on a deeper level it's not enough to just recognize somebody's face and then maybe their name, possibly. That's not knowing somebody. And when we know Jesus, it's not about just knowing things about Jesus or knowing Jesus' name. It's about really spending time with him. It's about interacting with him. And it's about having shared experiences with him as well. And when Paul talks in this passage here in verse number 10, notice what he says there, that I may know him. Now, Paul's in a unique position because Paul was taught by Jesus Christ himself. Paul called himself an apostle born out of due time. Uh, and while he didn't get to walk and talk with the apostles the way that the uh, original 12 apostles did, Jesus Christ came back to earth in bodily form and personally taught Paul himself the things that he needed to do to be an apostle and be useful to Christ. And so Paul had a, a unique relationship with Jesus, I guess you could say. But here's what Paul says, that I may know him. Paul really, the cry of Paul's heart is that he would get to know Jesus on a deeper level. He talks about how we can do that through spending time with him, shared experiences, and really interacting with him. That's why I want to encourage you every single day of the world, have some quiet personal devotion time with Jesus. Have some personal worship time with Jesus. This morning I got up and uh, worked out for a little bit this morning. And then after that, I took a shower, made breakfast, sat down with my Bible, spent some time in the Word, spent some time in prayer, 
put on some good praise and worship music and sang for a while. That was my time with Jesus this morning. Let me tell you, it was an awesome, awesome way to start the day. And then guess what? I got to get gather together for corporate worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family, and now we get to sing praises to Jesus together. Oh, man, awesome. Love it. Now we get to hear from God's Word and how we can experience Jesus together and how we can take the truth of God's Word and invest them in our lives and we can grow together. This Wednesday, we get to gather back together and we get to, to share experiences and life stories and prayer requests and praises and hear what God's doing in other people's lives and we can grow together as a result of that. It's about growing together with Jesus through His Word, through His church. It's interesting, we sometimes think that Eternal life is really just about going to heaven. That maybe, again, once we get saved, that's kind of all there is to the Christian life. That's just the beginning of the Christian life. Jesus himself said in John chapter 17, verse number 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's what Jesus says. Eternal life is really not about going to heaven. It's about getting to know God now. It's about knowing Jesus now. It's not about one of these days I'll go to heaven. One of these days uh, I'll get to see Jesus. One of these days. No, it's about knowing God and knowing Jesus now. It's not about one of these days. And that's why people miss out on the best part of the Christian life when they think that, that going to heaven is just the best part of the Christian life. That's the best end result of the Christian life. But the good stuff is for now. It's about knowing God now. It's about knowing Jesus now. It's about getting to know my brothers and sisters in Christ now. It's about growing together with other people in Jesus now. It's not about one of these days. It's about right now. And so to know Jesus, we've got to know more than just facts about him. We've got to really experience him. And Paul tells us in verse number 10, uh, it's really predictable what my outline this morning is going to be. If you take a look at verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. It's a no-brainer. And it, it boggles my mind that people sometimes go, Pastor, today's message was just so good. Like, really, a third grader could get the outline from today's message. I mean, it's just there for you. And so you, you got to get this as well. This is why it's so incredibly important that you're part of a Bible-preaching church. Because when you preach the Bible, a 10-year-old could preach the Bible, and it's going to be good because the Bible's good. It's the source of the material, not the presenter himself. So, again, it's really important that we latch on to, to this passage. You want to know Jesus, Paul tells us how. First of all, to know Jesus, we need to know the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I just want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Two events took place in human history that changed the world forever. The first of those was the incarnation of of God in the form of Jesus Christ. God became a man and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verse number 14 says, Jesus Christ was Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of the greatest events in all of human history, the fact that God became a man and walked this earth. It's so, such a big deal that we celebrate Christmas as a result of it. That's why it grieves my heart that Christians just celebrate Santa Claus and candy canes. It's like you're missing the best part of Christmas. It's Jesus so we mark our calendar as Bible-believing Christians. Hey, the world wants to have some pagan holiday. That's fine. They can have it. Well, we're going to take this as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. And look, if I can go to Alamona Shopping Center amongst all the, the godless idolatry that takes place over there, 
and hear joy to the world, the Lord is come. Please understand, I'm going to jump on that train. I'm going to ride it for as long as I can, all right? Like, that's good. Like, we need to celebrate Christmas and tell people why we celebrate Christmas. But the incarnation of Jesus Christ would change the world forever. But here's the thing. Many religious leaders have came and died. That happens all the time. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ would change the world forever. Forever. You see, every religious leader has come and died, and they dug a hole and buried them or put them in some elaborate tomb somewhere, enshrined them, maybe even go to that place and worship throughout the year. But there's one person who came and died and rose again on the third day of his own power, and his name was Jesus. And there ain't never been anything like it, and there never will be anything like it ever again. And here's the thing. I'm here today, you're here today because of the resurrection. We didn't come to celebrate some dead guy. We came to to celebrate a living Savior in Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection was the greatest display of power ever known to man because it defeated sin, death, and the grave. And so there's no greater power than the resurrection power. Because there's certain things in life that everybody knows you'll never get past, you'll never get over. None of us on our own can defeat sin. You can try to sin less, you can try to be a good person, you can try to do righteous deeds, but you'll never really make it because we're sinful at the core. It's who we are. You can't stop sinning. You're powerless to overcome it, and sin continues to run your life by yourself. Before you came to Jesus Christ, you had no power over your sin. The Bible says you were under the power of the devil, that you were under the power of your flesh, and you did exactly what you wanted, whenever you wanted, however you wanted, because you were under the power of sin. You can't defeat that on your own. Second of all, death is coming for all of us. Every single person in this room will die. Every one of us. And you can't get around that. Man has been trying for years to get around the idea of death, whether it's through cryogenics or trying to extend the life or trying to find the fountain of youth or find some uh, supplement that you can take to be able to extend your life and things like that. But here's the fact of the matter. The mortality rate on human life is 100%. We're all going to die. And there's nothing you can do about it. The grave is a place where we place our bones never to be dealt with again. You dig a hole, you throw the bones in it, and they're left there until they totally decompose, and there's no, nothing that we can do about that. It's done. Once your body is dead, the only thing we can do is cover it up with dirt and go on with our lives. And those are three things that it doesn't matter how much money in the world you have, you can't overcome that. It doesn't matter how much influence and power you have, you cannot overcome those three things. You're powerless against them. But Jesus Christ came. And through one act, his death upon the cross and his resurrection, that one thing changed the world forever, and he conquered in that one act sin, death, and the grave. And here's the crazy part about it. He made it look really easy. You know why? Because he said, if I lay down my life, I'm free to pick it up again because I have all power. And so when we talk about the power of the resurrection, we're talking about the greatest power known to mankind. Like, it's as big as it gets. It's more powerful than a nuclear bomb when you talk about the power that's there. And Paul says, I just want to know that resurrection power. Again, John chapter 10, verse number 17, Jesus says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. 
No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I've, I've received from my Father. Jesus says, I have the power over life and death. Nobody else has that kind of power. We might have power over death and the fact that we can take someone's life, but we can't give life if we wanted to. But Jesus says, I have power to lay down my life and to take it up again. Jesus' resurrection showed Jesus' absolute power over the physical and spiritual realms. Not only could Jesus defeat things physically that no one else could defeat in the fact that he was able to lay down his life and take it up again and resurrect from the grave, but Jesus also had power over spiritual realm as well by the fact that he could defeat sin once and for all. Jesus showed that there was no place that he did not have authority. There was no place that he did not have power. And so the resurrection power is not only the greatest power known to man, it's a power that was exclusively available to Jesus Christ himself This is why we would say that Jesus Christ has omnipotence. That's a word that we use to describe the attribute of God and the fact that he is all-powerful. Omnipotence is an attribute that belongs to God and God alone. You and I are not all-powerful. You and I have power, but it has limitations to it. God's power has no limitations. He's all-powerful or omnipotent. And this, again, is proof that Jesus Christ is God because no one else could have all power unless they were God themselves. And so again, a really easy way to spot a false teacher or a false prophet is to say that Jesus Christ wasn't really God. He was just a regular man with God-like attributes. Nope. If you say that Jesus Christ wasn't God, friend, you're not a Christian. If you're a teacher who teaches that Jesus Christ was not God, you are a false teacher. If you claim that Jesus Christ was a man who later became a God, you are a false teacher, and that is a false religion. You are not a Christian. Again, the Mormons would teach that Jesus Christ was a man who became a really good man who later became a God. We would reject that outright and say Jesus Christ has always been God and will forever be God. So again, the idea that Jesus Christ wasn't God, just discount that altogether because Jesus Christ always has been and always will be God. We even see in in earlier in Philippians chapter 2 where the Bible says that he emptied of himself He took upon himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. When he emptied himself, he did not empty himself of his deity. He never stopped being God. He emptied himself of his prerogative of his deity. All the power that came with being God, he emptied himself of that and took upon himself the form of a slave so that he could bear our sins in his own body. But Jesus never stopped being God, and that's proof by the fact he had absolute power Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3 says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself had purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Think about what Hebrews 1, 3 says. It says that he had put an end to our sin by his own death, resurrected of his own power, and then took his seat at the right hand of the Father on high. <laughs> you talk about power over the physical and spiritual realm. He not only died and took his own life back, physical, he also put an end to our sins, spiritual, and also resurrected not to this earth, but to ascend to heaven and sits down at the right hand of the Father. You talk about having power, Jesus had it. You say, what does that have to do with you and I? Take a look at verse number 10 again. That I may know him, and how does Paul want to know him? Paul wants to know him in the power of the resurrection. Paul says, that same power, I want to experience that in my life. I want to have that same power that Jesus had of the resurrection. How do we have that? You see that the law cannot change a man. Only the power of the resurrected Christ and the believer can change a man. 
Paul says, I want to experience that same power in my own life. And again, it's important that we read the Bible in context because it all flows together. We would do ourselves a great disservice if we just looked at verse number 10 and 11 by themselves. But if we look back up at verse number 9 in Philippians chapter 3, and being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul says in verse number 9 here, the law didn't do me any good. My own self-righteousness was worthless. All the accomplishments that I had were no good. And so the law itself couldn't change who I was, a sinner at the core. But by knowing Jesus and knowing his righteousness by faith, which we look at last week being justified by faith, declared righteous. Why did he declare me righteous? Verse number, again, verse number 10 is connected to verse number 9 declared righteous by faith in Christ that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And so, friend, I'll tell you this. If you're a child of God today, the power of the resurrection lies in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in you as a believer. Again, the most power that this world has ever seen lies in you. Goodness. So you want to know Jesus, you need to know the power of his resurrection. That's the power that changes lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse number 18, For I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how I perform that which is good, I find not. Paul says, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't have the power to do it. Because in my flesh dwells no good thing. I can't be good enough to change my own life. I need something greater than myself. I need a greater power in me. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Hey, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lies in you so that your body, yourself, your being can be changed to be like Jesus That's the power of the resurrection. You see, behavior modification doesn't change anybody. I can tell you if you're struggling with anger, I'll count to 10 before you speak and then allow you to think through your thoughts and the ramifications it all has. That's behavior modification. If you ever tried it, it doesn't work. If I get mad and I count to 10, I just get more mad as I count. (laughs) And I count faster so that I can hurry up and say what I want to say. Right? Because behavior modification doesn't change. You know what changes people? The Holy Spirit changes people. Change comes from the inside out, not from the top down, not external changes. That's why when you start following Jesus, the first thing you don't do is just go out and get a new wardrobe and get a new fancy suit of clothes and stuff like that and get a really big Bible and carry it to church. No, you start changing your heart first. Everything else flows from a heart change. For me, I don't provide marital counseling for people that are not Christians. I'm not a therapist or a counselor. I sit down and talk with people and try to guide them into biblical wisdom and things like that from time to time and help them with their marriage and stuff, but I always point them back to the Bible. But if someone's not a Christian, I got nothing really to offer you because the Holy Spirit makes change. If you're an unsaved married couple, I'll meet with you one time to share the gospel with you and hopefully you'll be saved because that's the beginning of change in your life. But if you want to sit and talk about how to fix your marriage, I don't know what to tell you. Be nice to each other. Don't yell. Don't fight. I don't know. But if you're a child of God, here's what I'll tell you. Walk in the Spirit, 
and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'll tell you what you want in your marriage. You know what you want? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And you know where you find that? The Holy Spirit at work inside of you. So if you want to fix your marriage, you want to fix your relationship, you want to fix your problems that you got in your life, walk in the Spirit. And I hate to oversimplify things, but really 99% of the people that I talk to that are struggling in their relationship, you know what the problem is? They're not walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit cures 100% of the problems that you have. So, again, you want to change? Change takes place in your heart first by the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't think that's working for me. Then something's wrong somewhere because you have the power of the resurrection inside of you. So if it's not working, the problem isn't with the source, which is the spirit. The problem is the subject, which is you. Because everything that you need to change, to live like Jesus, you have at your disposal. You have God as your father, You have Christ as your brother. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have the promises of God's word. You have a church family that loves you. You have a pastor that prays for you. Like you literally have no excuse whatsoever. Unless I just want to do what I want to do. And that's why Paul says, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to experience the power of the resurrection in my life. I'm not looking for behavior modification. I'm looking for real deal change. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, He talks about being baptized, and those that are baptized are buried as a likeness or as a picture of the death of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse number uh, 4 says it this way. Um, There it is. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Last week we had the opportunity to, to baptize the Jerome family. And as I baptize him, I'm baptizing them as a picture of the death the burial as they went under the water, and as they come up out of the water, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 6, verse number 4, says that as we're raised out of that baptism as a picture of what Jesus Christ has done, so we're raised like Christ to walk in newness of life. So the power of the resurrection doesn't just provide victory over sin, death, and the grave. It provides us the ability to live a new life. That when we talk about, we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, the fact that we serve a risen Savior, the idea is that just as springtime is an opportunity for new growth and a new season, so by the same token, the resurrection of Christ is an opportunity for you and I to walk in a new season of our life as well and the power of the resurrection. <coughs> so to know Jesus, first of all, we've got to know Him in the power of His resurrection. And you can only do that again if you're a child of God, if you've been saved. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so you have the power necessary to overcome sin, death, and the grave. Here's the thing. Because I'm saved, because I'm a child of God, sin doesn't have power over me any longer. You say, well, does that mean you don't sin? No, I sin. But I sin because I choose to sin. You say, well, why on earth would you choose to sin? Because I'm a selfish, wretched pathetic sinner. That's who I am. Just being honest. Because Romans chapter 6 says this, and if you're struggling with sin that just keeps continuing to come back to you, like cyclical, the Bible calls it besetting sin, write down Romans 6, and you should probably memorize the whole chapter. Because here's what 
Paul says. He starts off Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we just continue in sin that God's grace may abound? What does he say to that? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Like, could you continue to sin after you got saved? Yeah, but why would you want to? Again, verse number 2, Romans 6, 2. How shall we that are dead to sin continue to live in sin? It just doesn't even make sense. And it goes on to say that you and I have been set free from our sin. The sin hath no more dominion over you. That the day that you got saved, you got set free from the power and the penalty of sin. I'm not on the hook for my sin anymore. Jesus was on the hook and he paid it in full. But by the same token, I'm not under the power of my sin any longer either. So here's the thing. If you're a child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, if you've been saved or born again, here's the facts. If you continue to sin, it's only because you choose to. You say, well, why would anybody choose to sin? Because you're a sinner and you're selfish. You might say, Pastor, I would never choose this sin. I would never want this. This sin has brought me so much grief and so much trouble. And Why would anybody really want to choose this? I didn't choose this. It chose me. Hey, get this. If you're a child of God, you're given a choice. Romans chapter 6. Yield not yourself as members unto unrighteousness, but yield yourself as members unto righteousness. So you can choose who you want to serve. Do you want to serve your sin, or do you want to serve righteousness? Totally up to you, but know this, you don't have to choose sin any longer. Before you knew Jesus, before you were saved, you didn't have a choice. Sin was your master. It called the shots. You were a slave to your sin. But the day you accepted Christ as Savior, you were set free from your sin. The ability to walk again, Romans 6, verse number 4, to walk in newness of life. But if you go back to your sin, that's totally up to you. But don't say that you can't break free from it because you've been given everything you need to break free from that sin. If you continue in it, it's because you choose to. Because the resurrection power that lives in you says that you've been given the power to conquer sin, death, and the grave. So sin no longer has power over me. Death no longer frightens me. No, I'm not trying to die. I still work, drive with the seatbelts on, and I try to obey the traffic signals as best as, as I can. I try not to jaywalk, but sometimes the lights are really long. Uh, but I don't, I'm not trying to die, if you know what I'm saying. Like, I want to live, but I don't fear death. You know why? Because death for me is just the beginning of my eternal life. I know where I'm going when I die. I'm not really concerned about death. And so here's the crazy thing. Death has no power over me any longer. And you know the grave? I don't really have a grave marker picked out or a grave place. I told my wife, you know, whenever I die, just have me cremated, spread my ashes somewhere that, that's cool. I actually told my wife, you should probably bury me at Target because at least you'll come by and visit twice a week. Um, <laughs> but um, there's that. But honestly, the grave, I don't care. You know why? Because that's a holding place for my glorified body. That's it, you know? It doesn't hold any power over me. And here's the, the crazy thing. Like when I die, if you put a headstone up somewhere, please don't come out there and lay on it and cry on it and stuff like that. that I ain't there. I'm gone. And there's no power in the grave any longer. So the resurrection power gives me power over sin, death, and the grave. And Paul says, I want to know Jesus. And how do you know him? You know him by experiencing that power of the resurrection in your own life. This is the first way that you know Jesus. Secondly, he says this. You can take a look at verse number 
10. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. To know Jesus, we must also know the fellowship of his sufferings. Anybody who tells you that following Jesus makes all of your problems go away just isn't being honest with you. Because the Christian life involves a lot of suffering. You might look at you, whoa, well, that's terrible. I don't want to live the Christian life if it's a lot of suffering. Hey, get this. Life without Jesus suffering. So take your pick. Do you want to suffer with Jesus or without him? Totally up to you, but suffering's coming your way either way. Again, that's why I absolutely abhor false teaching that says that if you're facing difficulty in your life, it's because of sin in your life. That God never intended difficulty in your life. If you're experiencing it, it's because you don't give enough money, you're not right with God, or you need to confess some, some hidden sin or something like that. Hey, look, suffering comes to everyone. Suffering came to Jesus Christ. Now, some people misunderstand what it means to, to know Jesus in the fellowship of his sufferings. Some people believe that, that by experiencing suffering, that earns our salvation in some way, or I have to go through difficulty so that I can, can be like Jesus, so that I can have my sins forgiven. It does not mean that we have to experience Jesus' suffering of his cross. I'm thankful that the book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ was suffered once and for all for the sins of mankind. So you and I don't experience the sufferings of the cross as a way to, to pay for our sins or to earn our spot in heaven or to prove that we were worthy of God's sacrifice or anything like that. The sufferings of the cross were for Christ alone because he bore our sins. Here's the thing about the suffering of the cross. Jesus experienced it so that I don't have to. So we don't go through suffering as a way to earn our salvation or to pay for our sins or to uh, go through some purifying process as a result of the, the, the wrong that we've done or anything like that. That couldn't be further from the truth. But we will experience the sufferings of living in a world that is hostile to the gospel. If you decide to be a Christian in the society that we live in today, just know this, you'll be labeled for it. Now, you and I will not experience persecution in the United States yet the way that we see it on the scale of, of other, other things throughout the world. You see in the Bible, Stephen was put to death and stoned for being a Christian. I don't think any of us are in danger of being stoned this week for being a Christian. Uh, we see throughout, if you ever get the opportunity to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, every Christian should read that. Now, you're not going to sit down and read it cover to cover because it's not that kind of a book. But read a couple of pages as part of your devotional uh, life. You see people who gave their life for the faith uh, my pastor, Pastor Paul Chappell, wrote an outstanding book called The Outsiders. It talks about men who have given their life throughout, uh, since, uh, since throughout church history over the last 2,000 years for the advancement of the gospel. It talks about men like William Tyndale, who was imprisoned, burned at the stake for the crime of, get this, are you ready? Translating the Bible into English. So you and I, open God's word and can read it in our own language because William Tyndale gave his life for it. That's persecution. And so be careful that we don't throw persecution around too uh, liberally and the fact that somebody laughed when I told them that I went to church so I'm being persecuted at work or things like that. But just know this, if you're not experiencing persecution or, or haven't experienced it at some point in your life, first of all, you will. But here's the crazy thing. If you don't experience persecution, you should check and make sure that you're living a real Christian life. Because here's what Paul said. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
whether it's somebody making fun of you or mocking you or you don't get a job that you're supposed to or you didn't get promoted because you're supposed to or, or something along those lines, we're going to face some type of opposition as a result of being a Christian. But here's the thing. I reject any labels that society wants to put on me because I believe the Bible. I reject titles like right-wing, Republican, nut job, all this other stuff, alt-right, nonsense. I reject all those labels. You're not going to put them on me. You're not going to align me with a political candidate because I'm not aligned with a political candidate or political movement. I'm aligned with the Bible. I'm aligned with Jesus Christ. The only label that I receive is the label of born-again Christian. I reject all other labels. You know, call me a bigot, a hate monger, a racist, and things like that. I reject that outright. And here's the good news. We live in a society today where we can tell people, I don't give you the right to define me. I define myself. And they're supposed to respect that, right? Supposed to. We'll see. Here's the thing. There's coming a day for you that if maybe you refuse to wear the uh, pride button on your uniform at work, you might lose your job or face disciplinary action. Would you be willing to do that if it meant standing up for your faith? Maybe that might be persecution for you. I've known people before who've been told that their, their, their speeches that they give, their talks that they give at workplace, they need to tone down the Bible talk. They say, oh, I'm just being true to who I am. Well, nobody wants to hear that. Hmm, okay. Are you willing to take a stand when it's not popular? Here's the thing. Jesus faced suffering as a result of telling the truth. And when you and I experience suffering as a Christian, just know that we experience suffering with Jesus Christ as well. When you and I face difficulties and trials and temptations, we do it with the same way that Jesus Christ did. Hey, Jesus was tempted. I'm tempted. How did he handle it? He handled it with answering it with the Word of God. I want to do that as well. Hey, Jesus faced difficult circumstances. How did he do it? He did it with grace. Yeah, but I got this guy at work. He's such a jerk to me. This guy's a total backstabber. Yeah, Jesus had one too. His name was Judas, right? How did he deal with him? Grace, love, kindness. I know, but the things that are happening to me, like I don't even deserve it. Yeah, Jesus knows about that too. And Peter, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts somebody's ear off. And Jesus says, Peter, stop. Really, I got this. And how did he handle it? Handled it with grace. He trusted in God's sovereign plan. And so when you and I experience suffering, we can experience the sufferings with Jesus, and he's our model for how he handled it. That's why I'm so excited to go through the book of James. Next week, we're going to take a look at James chapter 1, verse number 2, where it talks about count it all joy when you fall into diverse types of temptations and trials. We're going to take a look at the purpose of trials in our life next Sunday night at 5 o'clock. Be here for that. But suffering, man, that's, that's part and parcel of being a Christian. You're going to face suffering. You're going to face difficulty. How do we do it? We do it with Jesus Christ. We do it with the power of the resurrection that we already have. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse number 18, if the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but you're not of the world because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. <laughs> Jesus says this, the world's going to hate your guts because they hate me. I was so encouraged there was a, young lady that my wife had discipled that called my wife about a year ago and said, hey, I had the opportunity to share the gospel today for the first time. Oh, I said, man, that's great. How did it go? And she says, well, it didn't go so well. They rejected the gospel and they made fun of me. And my wife says, that's awesome. What? <laughs> that's awesome that you're willing to stand up for your faith, share truth with someone, and endure suffering, persecution. Here's the thing. 
Jesus Christ shared truth with people. You know what they did? They mocked him, they made fun of him, and they rejected him. Congratulations, you're just like Jesus. Really. What do you think, Jesus batted a thousand? Here's the crazy part. If you really want to read through Jesus' interaction with people, you'll find Jesus was rejected more than he was accepted. But here, sometimes we get the idea that every time we share the gospel, somebody should immediately get saved every time. And if they don't, we're doing something wrong. No, no, no. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to get the truth out there. If we're sowing seed and telling truth, man, that's a win. And if you get rejected, congratulations, you're rejected just like Jesus was rejected. And Jesus says, here's the thing, don't take it personally. That, that's our immediate response, right, when we face suffering or when we face rejection or someone doesn't want to, to follow after the faith. We go, oh, man, I, I must have done something wrong. I must have presented it wrong. Maybe there's something I could have said or maybe I didn't have the, all the answers or something like that. Jesus says, no, 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 time out. They didn't reject you, they rejected me. If they don't like you, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. And we live in a world that's not hostile to us. It's hostile to the truth of the gospel. Look, I never thought that we would live in a society in 2021 where we can say that we shouldn't see race and color. We should just see people as people. And there's one race, the human race. And that would be divisive to say that. That to say that we're all of the same race doesn't respect the difficulties of people of other races. And it denigrates their sufferings. And, and that we as white people, me as a white person, need to hear out their suffering and need to understand that. And I need to confess my sin of racism that I don't have and hear their story of suffering and apologize for their suffering that they've experienced. It's like we've taken a massive step backwards from where we were 50 years ago when Dr. Martin Luther King, who was not a Christian, said, I just want my kids to be evaluated based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And we thought, thought, wow, what a world that would be. But now we're in a society where we want to be color. We want to be divisive. We want to split people up into groups. And if you don't respect that, you're a racist and a bigot and don't respect people of other races. Hey, God created one race. It's called the human race. And Jesus said this, when it comes to Jesus Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. We're all just part of sinners that need God's grace. That's it. That's why if you're a Bible-believing Christian, racism has no place in your life, period, end of story. If, you're, if you have a shred of racism in your heart, you need to repent of it, ask God for forgiveness, you need to move on. And, and know this, if you're not willing to repent of your sin of racism, you need to get out of here and find yourself a different church because you're not welcome here. Period. Because Jesus loves everyone. And Jesus doesn't see color, and we shouldn't either. But here we live in a society where we want to find divisiveness. We're looking for different ways to divide ourselves. And we've got to reject that outright because God has called us to repentance, restoration, and reconciliation. And so if we decide to stand for the gospel and stand for the Bible truth, people are going to put labels on us. Hey, I reject your labels, but I accept the label of Bible-believing, born-again Christian and follower of Jesus. Hey, that's it. And if we get grief for that, it's not, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the fact that they hate truth. So you experience sufferings, congratulations. That's a way to know Jesus more. You want to know Jesus, you need to know him in the power of his resurrection, you need to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, and you need to be made conformable unto his death. So it leads us to next, to be like Jesus, we have to die to self. This is the hard one. 
I'll be really honest with you, the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your entire life is die to self. That's it. Die to self means that I put to death all my hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations, wants, needs. I put those to the side and I ask one question. God, what would you have of me? God, what do you want me to do? It doesn't matter what I want to do. It matters what you want me to do. And, and parents, we do our kids a great disservice when we ask our kids the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Hey, I'll be honest. When I was in fifth grade, you know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be a ninja. And I was greatly disturbed to find out that there's no school for ninjutsu, uh, that you can't really go to school and be a ninja and like throw throwing stars in public. Isn't that terrible? But then I began to, as I progressed, after I realized you couldn't really be a ninja, I began to ask myself, hey, I want to be in the NBA because I want to play basketball and I want to make a lot of money. And when I realized I'm terrible at basketball, i got to find something else now. And so then I began to ask myself again, as a carnal 12-year-old, what can I do that makes a lot of money? And so again, we lead our kids astray when we say, what do you want to do? But when we ask the question, what would God have you do with your life? That opens up a different opportunity. Because now it's not about pleasing self, it's about pleasing God. <laughs> and throwing throwing stars and, and wearing socks that have uh, split down the middle doesn't please God the way that, that I thought it, being a ninja would. Uh, but the idea is this, what can I do that glorifies God? That takes on a totally different avenue. But that requires something very uncomfortable, a death to self. And so sometimes people ask the question, so you're saying that if I want to follow Jesus, I've got to give up everything that I want to be able to follow him? Well, I didn't say that. He did. Jesus gave the qualifications for discipleship. Here's what he said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Three things. Number one, self-denial. It means I'm setting everything to the side. Second of all, take up your cross. Now, sometimes people misunderstand that phrase, take up your cross. And they'll say things like, well, you know, I've got a, a difficult job that I have to do, and that's just my cross to bear. Or I'm in a difficult marriage. My spouse is, is a terrible human being, and that's my cross to bear. Or, I've got a kid who's really difficult, my cross to bear. That's not your cross to bear as if it's something you have to pick up and just carry day to day. Crosses were meant for one purpose and one purpose only. You know what they were? Death. That's it. The only purpose of a cross was execution. So when Jesus says, I want you to deny yourself and bring your cross with you because he's leading you on a path that leads to self-death. Well, that doesn't sound like any fun, does it? Let me help you with this. Short-term fun and long-term fruitfulness are usually at odds with each other. I'll say that again because that was kind of deep. Short-term fun and long-term fruitfulness are usually at odds with one another. Dying to self and denying myself doesn't sound like a lot of fun, especially in the society we live in today, which says you need to engorge yourself with the things that the world has to offer. Whatever got, you need to get more of it. Whatever you have is not enough. And so the world says get more but Jesus says no 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 I want you to deny yourself die to yourself daily and then follow me every single day for the rest of your life hmm okay so Jesus' call to us 
is not a call to come and live some wild, hugely extravagant life. Jesus' call is a call to come and die. Because, here's how good he is. He promises, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So if I'm willing to come and die, then God will give me everything that my heart craves? Absolutely. Jesus said this, seek ye first, your number one priority, let it be the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness requires doing actually what he says, obedience. Put that first and all these other things will be added unto you. I'll give you all the other stuff that you want, but just put me first. And so sometimes people, when they have a carnal heart, begin to go like, oh, oh, oh. if I want to get riches, if I want to get success, if I want to get status, I put Jesus first, and then he gives me all this stuff, right? You misunderstand. Jesus is not an idol giver. Jesus is not a means to an end to get your stuff. Jesus says this, delight yourself in me, and I'll give you everything that your heart craves. But here's the thing. You know what your heart craves? Your heart doesn't crave a new car. Your heart doesn't crave a new apartment. Your heart doesn't crave a new house. Your heart doesn't crave an extravagant vacation. You know what your heart desires? I'm going to give it to you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what your heart craves. And God says, come to me, and I'll give you all of that and more. But see, we chase after the stuff of this world. Not if we're willing to be made conformable unto his death. Because just as Jesus died to make an end of our sin, so must our old man die to be made like Jesus. So you want the good stuff? You got to be willing to die to self. And just as Jesus had to die to make an end of our sin, so you and I must allow our old man to die to be made like Jesus Christ. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. It's just a couple of pages over in your Bible to the right from where we're at right now. I want you to see this passage. It's, it's so rich. One of these days we'll get to the book of Colossians, but we've got to get through Philippians first. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. If ye have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Just stop for just a second. And think of everything that we've already learned just from today in the book of Philippians. If ye be risen with Christ, you know what that is? That's the power of the resurrection, my friend. If ye be risen with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We see Jesus Christ who has power over the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Verse number two, set your affections on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Verse 3 says, you are dead, dead, dead without Jesus Christ. But verse number 4 says, but when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. I love what it says there. Christ, who is our life. The only source of life that we have is Jesus Christ. And let me tell you this, friend. If you've never lived for Jesus, you don't know living yet. You don't know the good stuff that life has to offer until you really walked with Jesus yet. Somebody told me a couple weeks ago, Pastor, you're really passionate about what you have to say. I got something, like, I feel like I've unlocked the secret to life. Like, you don't even know what life is about, and I figured it out. I want to help you get it. 
And like, I feel like I have a secret that I need to share with you because if I do, if you latch on to what I got, it's going to knock your socks off and it's going to change the rest of your life. And it'll probably change the rest of your family tree too. That's like how fired up I am about what I got. But here's the crazy part about it. It's not a secret. It's been around for 2,000 plus years. But why don't people see that life change? Because they don't know Jesus they don't know the power of his resurrection. They don't know the fellowship of his sufferings. And they're not willing to be made conformable unto his death. But I'm telling you, if you do, you unlock something that'll change your life forever. Verse 4, when Christ Jesus our life shall appear, you shall also appear with him in glory. Here's what verse 5 says. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. The word mortify means put to death. Kill it. Kill all these members if they're inside of you. Fornication, which is sexual sin uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things the sake of wrath of God abides, uh, cometh on the children of disobedience. Here's what verse 7 says. In which you also walked in some time when you lived. All this sin, you used to do that, but you shouldn't anymore because you're children of God. But now also put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Verse 9, lie not to one another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds. So, Verses 7 and 8 tell us because we're following Jesus now, there should be a massive life shift in the way that we live. And if you're a Christian that's involved in sexual sin, these verses tell you, knock it off. We don't live like that anymore. You're a Christian who uses foul or crude, ugly language. Knock it off. We don't live like that anymore. And so again, the idea that, that, that following Jesus is just punching my ticket to heaven and waiting. No, 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 no. The day that I accept Christ as Savior, I kick off a process where my life changes forever every single day until I see Jesus Christ. It, it, you kick off something, you've begun something that you don't even fathom what's taking place in your life. But then verse number 10 says this. Oh, I love this. So verse number 9, lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You might have missed it, but I want to draw your attention to it. Verse number 10, what does it say? Having put on the new man, which is renewed in what? Knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of Jesus. Oh, snaps. You know what this says? This says that as you put on the new man and are renewed, you're renewed by knowing Jesus. Well, how do we know Jesus? We know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and being made conformable unto his death. When you know Jesus, it changes your life. <laughs> That's good. And here's the thing. It's all connected. You know why? Because this, the Bible is a story from Genesis to Revelation of Jesus Christ and the changing power of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, and it changes lives, and it changed my life, and it can change your life if you're willing to actually know Jesus, not just know stories about Jesus. If you're willing to really walk with Jesus every single day instead of just reading some stuff about Jesus. I'm talking about like really knowing him. It'll, it'll change your life. Turn back to, to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 10, that I know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. You see, we can know Jesus to some degree through the fellowship of his sufferings, through 
the power of the resurrection by being made conformable unto his death, but we will fully know Jesus at the resurrection. Did you know that there's a day coming for you that you get to see Jesus Christ eyeball to eyeball, face to face? Man, what a day that's going to be. Like, I can't, I can't fathom. I think to myself at least once a week consciously, but really throughout just about every single day, what's it going to be like the day that I see Jesus? I imagine, man, face first, in the dirt, in front of him, praising him. And you say, well, that's not really my personality. Hey, look, John went to heaven, and somebody tapped him on the shoulder, and he fell on his face. Here's an angel who said, get up, what are you doing? Stand up, I'm not Jesus. And he's like, oh, sorry. But like, when we see Jesus Christ face to face, what's it going to be like? Oh, man. You talk about really knowing somebody the day that I see him, I'm really going to know him. Oh, man. And here's the thing for me as a pastor. My mission for you as your pastor is to help that day that you see Jesus Christ for you to meet him in joy, not in disappointment. Because the Bible says there's coming a day for all of us, the day that we stand before God. We stand at what's called the judgment seat of Christ where our entire life's works will be weighed in the balance. Not to determine if we go to heaven or hell. That's determined based on whether or not you're saved or not. But for those of us that are saved, we'll see the judgment seat of Christ and all of our life's work will be placed upon a fire to be burned. And only the things that really matter are going to stick around. And for you, I want that day to be a day that you stand before God and you say, hey, I wasn't perfect, but I've waited my whole life for this day. Let's get it on. Like, yes, yes. And your life's work is placed upon a furnace before God and you're just like, yes, let's go. I don't want you to stand there with your hands in your pockets, embarrassed, looking down at the ground all sheepish because you wasted your life. Chasing after stuff. Chasing after the things of this world. And you stand before God empty-handed. And your whole life is burned up. And you got nothing to show for it. And you're just embarrassed. I don't want that for you. I want you to stand before Jesus one day in grateful gratitude and worship. Saying, my entire life I give to you as an act of worship because you were worth it. That's what I want for you. You talk about knowing Jesus, you'll know Jesus on that day. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our corruption will put on incorruption. One of these days, we don't know what it'll be like, but when we see Jesus, we'll be made like him. 1 Corinthians tells us that right now we see through a glass dimly. We don't fully understand everything, but the day that we understand everything, it's all going to be really clear because we'll see it face to face. I want you to know Jesus and be ready for that day. Three final thoughts and we're done. First of all, knowing Jesus is walking as he walked. I want to live like Jesus lived. You know what Jesus did? If you think about what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, if you read the Gospels, you know what Jesus did? He just walked around a lot. That's it. And he would encounter people that needed him. That's kind of all he did. Some people over here need to be healed. So people over here can use a word of encouragement. Somebody over here is sick. Somebody over here is blind. These 10 guys over here got leprosy. These people over here could use a word of encouragement. Let me share a word of encouragement with them. And then when it was necessary, he gave everything he had for the people who needed it the most. So what do you and I do? 
No different. We walk around a lot. We look for people that need Jesus. We do what we can to help them and bless them and encourage them. And we're willing to give of ourselves to see them be blessed, not temporarily, but eternally. Same thing. Now, when you walk, you don't just get to walk around and find where you want to go. You walk somewhere, you punch a time clock, you sit down at a desk. But you're not, here's the crazy thing. You're not there to advance your career and your vocation. You're there to serve Jesus Christ. Now, please understand, don't take away from your employer and not work while you're there. You need to put in your work and do what you're supposed to do. But friend, your number one job is not whatever you do for a paycheck. Your number one job is servant of Jesus Christ. And you're where you are because God wants to use your life in a unique way that only you can be used there. Don't miss that. When you walk your street, you need to be on the lookout for people who need Jesus. When you go to the mall, you need to be on the lookout for people who need Jesus. When you're standing in line at Long's, you need to be on the lookout for people who need Jesus. And to make it really easy for you, we got these nice little three-by-five glossy cards that say, Jesus, the hope you've been searching for. Hey, did you get one of these yet? I don't know. What is it? It's an invitation to our church. On the back is something that will change your life. Change your mind. That's it. That's all you got to do. You know what you do? Walk around handing those out. You got a neighbor? Invite him over for a meal. Hey, I want to tell you about something that will change your life. I'm not going to sell you anything. I'm not trying to sign you up for Amway. Uh, I just want to tell you about something that just changed my life. And just share Jesus. You want to know Jesus? Do what Jesus did. Walk as Jesus walked. You want to know Jesus? Knowing Jesus is living in obedience. You will never know Jesus while you're living in opposition to his commandments. It just doesn't work that way. I can't really experience Jesus on a deep level when I'm living in disobedience to what he commands. No, you got to do what he says. It blows my mind people who want to continue to live in sin but say that they love Jesus. You don't. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus doesn't want us to sing songs to him only Jesus doesn't want us to give money to him only. Jesus wants a heart of obedience first and foremost. Worship without obedience, God says, is worthless worship. So you want to really know Jesus? Just do what he says. Finally, this is really important. If you want to know Jesus, it requires intentionality. You will never know and experience Jesus on accident, ever. This just, just doesn't happen that way. Nobody has ever, at the end of 12 months, say, huh, well, I look back at the last year, I haven't read my Bible at all, I haven't been in church at all, but I feel closer to God. They don't. You know what happens without intentionality? We drift. And we wake up one day and we go, how in the world did we get here? Remember one time we, we'd gone to the beach, we'd put all of our stuff uh, up on the beach, and we covered them up with a, a beach towel, because everybody knows if you put a beach towel over your your belongings, nobody can see them. It's like they're invisible to everybody, right? We put all, all of our stuff up there under a beach towel so nobody could see it. And we're out there in the water, and I'm swimming with the kids. I'm picking them up and throwing them. We put the kids on our shoulders. We've got chicken fights going on, everything people do in the water and stuff like that. And I look up, and all of our stuff is gone. And I'm like, what? Oh, my soul. And so I begin to panic, and I begin to look. And I'm, I'm scanning back and forth, look for shady people who have a, a beach towel with all of our stuff underneath it. I'm looking back and forth. And I'm thinking, like, we put all of our stuff directly in front of the gate at that hotel. But somebody stole the gate, too. (laughs) 
And I look up, and we're like 100 yards down from where we started. And like all of our stuff is still there. It's just not in front of us anymore. It's way back that way. What happened? We drifted. We got to playing around and having fun and chicken fighting and stuff like that, and we didn't realize that we had drifted 100 yards away from where we started. In your Christian life, you're not just going to wake up one day and just like, oh, I'm closer to Jesus. You don't drift toward Jesus. You have to pursue Jesus. You drift towards carnality. You drift towards sin because that's where our heart is drawn to automatically. You got to fight to follow Jesus. You got to purposely pursue to follow Jesus. You got to make commitments like every time the church doors are open, our family's going to be there. Every single day before I leave for work, I'm going to be in the Word. Every single day before we go to bed, our family's going to be in prayer together. Every single week, we're going to talk about the message and what we got from it. You got to do that on purpose, otherwise, it's just not going to happen. So you want to know Jesus? Jesus wants to be known. But you know Him through the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being made in His form like unto death. And it requires time, interaction, and shared experiences. That's what knowing Jesus is. Friend, you'll never know Jesus unless you're saved. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, you're not 100% sure when you die, you'll spend eternity with God. You need to be saved today. That's the beginning. But for me, I'll just shoot you straight. I was nine when I accepted Christ as Savior, but I didn't begin really knowing Jesus until I was probably in my early 20s. I didn't know there was a difference in being saved and actually walking with Jesus and knowing him. There is. There's a big difference. And so I'd encourage you today, make a commitment to really know Jesus. Maybe that requires laying some sin to the side and repenting of it and turning from it and turning to Jesus. Maybe it means being intentional with the way that you spend your time or being, spending time in the Word and actually obeying the Word. Maybe it means making a commitment to church attendance and being here, and being present. Maybe you need to jump in a small group with other people that know Jesus and are walking with Him to get a little bit of momentum going. But whatever you do, you can't just drift and hope that it works out. You've got to make a choice. So I'd encourage you, follow Jesus. You'll never be disappointed. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.